Hey, Ukraine Media family, before we start this episode, I want to quickly tell you about today's sponsor, Magnified.com. So let me ask you a quick question. Which is better, a million dollars or a dollar? A million dollars, of course. The same can be said for a written review versus a video testimonial. Video testimonials crush written reviews. We all know that. We also know that it's hard to get a video testimonial. That is until now. Our sponsor, Magnify.com, totally automates the process of capturing a video testimonial and gives you a fully produced video testimonial ready to share. Every business on the planet, small or large, needs a video testimonial. And so does your business, especially if you want to go to the next level in 2019. For more information, go to Magnify.com and sign up today. And now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Jay Ratliff. Enjoy. What's up, you Media family? Vladimir Pragnevsky here, and welcome to episode number 54 of the Ecomedia podcast, where I serve your Media family with weekly interviews from highly creative people. And today's guest is Jay Ratliff. Jay is an award-winning international author. He's an aviation analyst for Fox News and iHeartMedia. He's a former travel coordinator for Detroit Lions, father of five, a board member for several charities, founder and president of Day Trade Fund in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the list goes on and on. Now, Jay is not a motion graphic artist. However, I consider Jay to be a creative because this is a man who thinks outside the box. He reinvented himself and built a successful new business during a very difficult time in his life. So, Jay, welcome to the show. Feel free to fill in the gaps from the intro and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. No, I think that's a, that's a great intro, and it's it's super. One of the things that probably I'm the most proud of that never happened was uh, 1980. Uh, I was invited, uh, excuse me, it would have been 1984 leading up to that. I was invited to try out for the 1984 U.S. Olympic baseball team. Wow, I didn't know and that. I got a letter that said... Uh, you, we are considering you as perhaps one of the top 25 baseball players in the country. I was not. And uh, they invited me to a tryout for what was going to be the Pan American baseball team that we were going to travel. And then it was going to become the, the U.S. Olympic team in 1984 in Los Angeles. It was still a uh, it wasn't a, a main sport, approved sport. It, it was kind of a conditional, you know, preliminary type thing. But, you know, just to be invited was great. And we were in a, a tournament uh, as we were leading up to the tryouts in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I tore a hamstring. And oh, uh, it, wow. at the time, the Kansas City Royals and the Chicago Cubs were interested in me. But back then, you could not sign a letter of intent because it forfeited your amateur status and you were unable to you know try out for the Olympics, so uh, I held off on that. And uh, unfortunately, when my speed was gone with that torn hamstring, so were the offers, and that's when everything kind of shifted from baseball to the airline industry. And looking back, I'm glad that it did. Interesting. Wow. I, you know, I've known you for a year, and I never heard of this story before. So this is cool. Now, speaking of your airline uh, industry, you know, your career there. Let's let's go ahead and start from the very beginning. How did you get into that? I loved airplanes. I grew up, uh, well, I was born on an army base in Frankfurt, Germany, and uh, my family moved from uh, Frankfurt uh, because my dad was in the army to Vandalia, Ohio. And we lived right outside of the uh, the Dayton International Airport. And every summer, the Dayton Airport hosts an air show. So literally, I could watch for an entire week the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds or all of these precision teams literally flying over my house. And I just 
<sighs> fell in love with aviation. Everything about it was just the coolest thing in the world. And I was always at the uh, Dayton Airport and nearby at, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. They have a uh, aircraft museum where you can go through hangar after hangar after hangar of everything from the Wright Brothers type of airplane, which, you know, started here in, in, in the Dayton, Ohio area. You know, with apologies to those folks down in uh, North Carolina, it started in Dayton as far as aviation. And uh, you could go to the uh, Air Force Museum and spend hours and hours and hours. So I just loved it. So uh, I went to an airline school down in uh, Kissimmee, Florida. And uh, as, as I was graduating from that uh, specialized school, an airline offered me a job in a place called Monroe, Louisiana. And being a Yankee as I was and still mm. am. Uh, I had I couldn't have found Louisiana on a map if you paid me. I just knew it was somewhere <laughs> south, but I said, okay, I'll go and went to work for then Republic Airlines, which became Northwest Airlines and and began an incredible you know, 25 year career in the travel industry. And they told me when I got started, Vlad, if I worked hard, I could have my own station as far as a, a station manager in as little as 10 years. And, and I kind of laughed inside because I knew that my dad had taught me early on that if you work hard, harder than anyone else, it doesn't guarantee success, but it guarantees opportunities. And if you take advantage of those opportunities, then, uh, you know, you're going to be in a position where some good things might happen. And I think it took me three and a half years to become a general manager or have my own station. And it, it wasn't anything that was attributed to anything more than A, me making more mistakes than anyone else, and then learning <laughs> from those mistakes, and then moving on. And um, yeah, I loved what I was doing. I love succeeding. I'm a passionate individual. And everyone that I work with and around, I want them to have as much fun as I do. And, and uh, yeah, it's a career that I absolutely loved. Do you have a pilot license? I do not. I was a general manager uh, for Northwest Airlines. And like the military, they move you around, you know, from Monroe, Louisiana, then to a, a booming metropolis of Florence, Alabama, and then from Florence to Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati, finally up to the Dayton area, where I got to be the general manager back in my hometown for Northwest Airlines. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I always loved taking over the problem stations where you came in, everything was falling apart, there was zero expectations for anything really special happening, and then turning all that around to the point where, you know, people in the home office are saying, what in the world are you doing down there <laughs> uh, as you allow the results to speak for themselves? And, and it's really, when you look at it from a management standpoint, it is so easy, unbelievably easy to turn around anything to get people pointed in the right direction. I, I see these 350 page books in the bookstore. I see all of these individuals talking about these formulas and things that you need to have as far as a management philosophy. And to me, it's a very simple process. And there's several things I've used in my, used in my career that I've been able to implement the smallest little thing. And it has had incredible results. Success in business is not hard. It's just a matter of working hard for long enough 
and then you'll be able to succeed or you'll be in the next step towards that success. And unfortunately, these days, most individuals, and you know this because you're in oh, business, yeah. <laughs> if they're not making it in six months, well, it wasn't meant to be. And, and right. off they go. And I'm thinking, what? Where'd you get that from? Oh, man. Uh, it, you, you work for as long as it takes. And if it completely and radically changes your life, I don't care how long it takes. It's worth right. it. Right. It's true. I mean, if you're truly passionate about what you do, just you got to stick with it and go all the way to the end. Now, I'm curious, how did you transition to TV and radio? How did you become an expert? Or how, when did you start doing all interviews and all those things for aviation? I, I was a passionate teacher. So when I when I took over my first airline station in uh, Florence, Alabama, I, I began a, a process of trying to educate every traveler that came through. Uh, they had a little boarding card that would have a boarding number for them to board our, our aircraft. But on the flip side, I had travel tips, things where I was trying to educate them because I recognized that travel, especially airline travel, is a very confusing. It's a very intimidating. And for some, it's a very fearful type thing. So I was right. constantly trying to educate people. And I was doing that. And then um, when I went to my next station, I contacted the local radio station and I said, uh, hey, do you guys ever have a need for, you know, uh, any travel related questions to be answered? And they said, sure, you know, come, we'll, we'll call on you from time to time. And they did. And then it became an every Friday type thing. And the next thing hmm. I know, uh, I'm doing things on several different radio stations and TV stations across Ohio. And then, um, you know, I get hooked up with 700 WLW and 55 KRC back in 1991. And from that point, it just bloomed where other stations within the then Clear Channel and now iHeartMedia family call on me anytime that there's a, an aviation issue, be it an emergency or, you know, fair sale or anything that's going on that they need me to, to talk about. So it, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I kind of worked my way into it. Uh, it was never anything that was really an objective. It was just something that as I volunteered my time and my expertise, some great things happen. And, and there's so many people that say, well, Jay, what were they paying you? And, and I looked at them and I said, nothing. And then they looked <laughs> back at me like I was the dumbest individual on the planet. <laughs> You're giving them all of this time and all for free? And I said, yes. And then when I left the travel industry and the airline industry, because Northwest Airlines kind of kicked me to the curb from a corporate standpoint, I continued to do these free interviews across the country. And I had learned to day trade, flip stocks, and, and succeed quite well in that realm. And these radio stations around the country that I was doing aviation-related reports said, hey, Jay, we understand that you're day trading and, and trading stocks, and, and you started a company where you're, you're training other people. And I said, yeah. And they said, let's talk about that instead of aviation next time. Oh, wow. That's how it goes. I said, huh? I said, well, okay. And all of a sudden, I had these radio stations from one coast to the other that were calling me so that they could talk about the stock market, the things that were going on saying, hey, Jay, there's more people that are interested in the stock market than there are aviation right now. So let's talk about that. And then all of a sudden, 10 years ago, I have all of these people from all over the country contacting me. My business is exploding faster than I can almost contain it. And it all goes back to me doing something that most people thought I was an idiot for doing. And that was simply trying to serve other people by providing that the information that uh, I happen to be an expert on. Wow. That's, that's how it all starts, right? So how many interviews do you do every year? 
The last time I counted, it's about two thousand a year. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, it, it, my my day uh, starts a little bit before five a.m. and my first radio interview is at five twenty-five, and then I'll have one at five forty-five. I'll have one at six, one at six nineteen, six forty-two, seven thirteen, seven twenty-five, and and uh, as different organizations, if it's Bloomberg or if it's you know Fox or whoever it might happen to be that has has a need. They'll call upon me, and, and as long as I can work it within my day, I'll do it. Uh, we have TV stations that try to track me down to get me on camera so that they can can talk to me. I, I got a call the other day from a, ra- a TV station in Houston, and they said, hey, we'd like to do a report with you. And I said, uh, okay. And they said, uh, you know, we can send a truck by. And I said, where do you think I'm at? <laughs> and they said, well, you got to be in the Houston area. I said, no, I'm, I'm in, I'm in uh, Ohio. And what they had done was they Googled, you know, aviation expert, Houston, Texas, and my name came up everywhere. Wow. So they got a hold of me thinking I was local. So, yeah, it's it's something that I enjoy doing. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, I'll continue to do it for as long as I can. I'm 55 years young, and I'll do as much as I can for as long as I can. And as long as I can continue to provide a service for individuals around the country, I'm going to continue to do it, and uh, passionately so. Now let's let's transition to your well I guess the journey what started the day trading let's transition mm-hmm. to your darkest moment in your career just take it away tell us all about it well you know in 1992 I was I was leaving a travel agency because back then we were required to do travel agency visits and I was driving down the road and I was listening to a radio station that I was working with uh, 1290 WHIO in Dayton and they had a gentleman on there talking about the stock market and he said that the stock market could be used as a business Now, I I knew nothing about the stock market, but I knew that that statement was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard in my life. I said, there's no way. The stock market is a game of chance. It's gambling. It's if you know something or you're an expert on a certain field, maybe, but a business, something that you could do all the time. I said, that's ridiculous. But the more that I drove, the more I thought, you know, the airline industry is constantly laying those of us in management off. We were always two or three years away from the next round of layoffs. We'd be off for a year or two, and they'd bring us back. And everyone I worked with had a business on the side where they might have a a hair salon or they raise horses or they married a rich wife or whatever it might happen to be. They had (laughs) something to fall back on, and I did not. So that's when I decided that I needed to have a plan B because I knew how corporate America worked. I saw where the airline I used to work for would move a family from the West Coast to Kansas City, knowing that six months later, that job was no longer going to be there. And that individual would then be required to move somewhere else, or they would lose their job. And I used to get in so many arguments with my my bosses, because I said, that is not the way to treat people. But from a corporate America standpoint, that's how all of us are treated. We're interchangeable parts. They could really care less about us. When I was with the Detroit Lions, I stood on the sidelines watching these NFL games. And the minute somebody got hurt, they dragged them off and threw somebody out there without a second thought. That's how corporate America works. So I thought I've got to do something. So I began a study of the stock market. Northwest Airlines did eventually kick me to the curb. We had given our mechanics a 35% pay raise and they were uh, reducing the, every department by 5%. I had turned down four promotions in the previous two years, and they said, Jay, if you want to remain in Dayton, we can't offer you a job. That position is being eliminated. So basically, I was, I was sent packing. 
And I moved in, I had moved into a motel room, sold pretty much everything that I had so that I could try to learn how to make the stock market work. It had been a part-time study for a while. And I thought this is a way that I could, I don't know, maybe make 50, 60, $70,000 a year in doing. And uh, that was my goal. I moved into the motel room at the um, travel lodge at the Dayton International Airport. Vlad, I thought I would be there for six months. I, I mean, looking back, I mean, what a, a ridiculous, presumptuous thing for me to think because I lived in that room for 10 years. Wow. That's and <laughs> it was, you talk about wanting to quit every single day, have people that, you know, I'm approaching my 40th birthday thinking I'm living in a motel room. I was divorced, had been divorced for some time. And when you meet somebody and, and you, know, you have a young lady that asks where you live, what do you tell them? Uh, uh, I got a small place over by the airport. You don't tell them you live in a motel room, but that, that was me. And my kids were with my ex-wife. It was some of the most depressing time in my life. I would deliver newspapers in the morning from four in the morning until about seven 30. I would come back to that little room. I'd sleep until nine 30. I'd watch the market from nine 30 until four. And at five 30, I had to report to a place where we built GM car seats from five 30 at night until two or three in the morning, which wow. would give me just enough time to get back to the place where I was delivering papers in all kinds of wonderful Ohio weather. And I did that for 10 years and it was difficult. It was impossible. And everyone around, you know, had they had reality shows back then where they would have interventions and come in and get you, I would have been, you know, one of the people on TV that they come <laughs> right. in to try to, to rescue. But I was determined because I thought if I'm going to do something special with my life, I'm going to keep going. And I'll be honest with you. There were times I laid down exhausted in that bed, looking at the ceiling, wondering if my best days were behind me. And I didn't know if any of this stuff was going to work. I could see that I was slowly getting better at picking stocks, but it was it was emotionally draining. And then all of a sudden, things really started to click as things do in business when you work long enough and hard enough. And the next thing I know, I was making seventy five, hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars a year flipping stocks, and my life completely changed. And all these wonderful people who told me how bad it was for me to put myself through that now are coming to me saying, hey, Jay, can I give you some money where you can invest for me? <laughs> it's funny how I it works I look at them like, excuse me, you know, you're the one that didn't think I should keep going. But, you know, it's in life, it's a matter of how bad you want things. And for me, that was the price that I had to pay. And had you told me back then when I got started, Jay, you're going to live here for 10 years. I'll be honest. I don't know that I would have said, OK, let's do it. But I could, find, I could see that I kept making a little bit of incremental progress as I continued, and I kept going. And, yeah, I did a lot of my initial early radio interviews from room 121 at the Travelodge. And to this day in my office, it's about three feet away from me, I still have my key to that room. That I is pretty I will never, sweet. ever forget where I came from. That's and a reminder, yeah. how blessed I am to be right here. Wow. So how did you deal with all the critics, all the people that are saying, look, what are you doing? You're wasting your life away. Because, you know, life is a journey and a lot, it it's not how you start your journey. It's how you finish your journey. Right. And yep. so a lot of times people look at us when we're not where we need to be. We're in this, the beginning of the race, so to speak. It's just like a race. Right. And uh, they, mm -hmm. they pass judgment. So how did you overcome all, all of that negativity? I had to keep I had to keep believing in myself when no one else would. I, I was dating a young lady for a couple of years and she was trying to hang in there and and I asked her one day, I said, hey, do you believe in me? And she says, well, I believe that you believe. 
that's about as far as I can go with it. <laughs> and I recognized that I was completely by myself. And it was tough because, you know, there's a there's a baseball movie and, you know, I love baseball. Right. It's called For the Love of the Game. It's a Kevin Costner movie. And, and I watched that movie and it, I only could watch it one time because it was at the end of the movie that Kevin Costner is the baseball pitcher has a moment of his career unlike any other time he's seated in a motel room crying because he has no one to share that special moment with Mm. and that was me and i every time i'd have success i'd turn and there was nobody there Uh, it was only me and and yeah i had people said hey jay if this stock market thing's going to work, don't you think after four years you'd have figured it out? Oh, you should be congratulated for trying, but you need to go get a job with the real company. You need hmm. to go do this. You need to go do that. I mean, I was hearing it from every angle. I had some people that were supportive, but most people not. They looked at me like, you know, Jay, go back to the airline industry. You were very good at that. You'll make two or three times what you're making now. You're working 70, 80 hours a week. You're existing on three hours of sleep. You're collapsing on the weekend. I mean, enough is enough. And I would put up a a brave face and then I would go climb into that bed or I'd drive down the road with tears coming down my face thinking, how much longer is it going to take? And I kept going and going. And had I, if it took 15 years, I'm convinced I would have stuck in there for 15 years if that's where I had to be. And now I'm at a point where millions of people across the country I'm able to interact with across with the radio. And I'm able to encourage individuals, whether they want me to train them on how to flip stocks or not, but to look at, you know, Wall Street as a possible spare time, part time or full time business, or just as a business owner saying, look, if this crazy guy can do what he did, then certainly I can do what I want to do. I had a meeting with my doctors about a year and a half ago, and they said, Jay, you know, you're gaining weight. You're up to 276. And, you know, as a former athlete, that was kind of embarrassing. And they said, you are right now at this at the doorstep of either a stroke or diabetes or a bunch of other bad things, and you need to lose 50 pounds. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's a lot of weight. You know, I've tried to lose some weight before, but, you know, and I, I literally was walking through the mall one day later with my wife and I laughed out loud because I thought, Jay, all you've got to do is be t- as tough as you were in that motel room on the weight side and you got this. And once you've accomplished something in your life like that, it's not as hard to do it the second time. So I sat down in October of 2017. I said, this is what I'm going to do. I now weigh 223 pounds. I've lost 53 pounds. I'm going to lose another 20 just to show that I can do it. (laughs) It's it's something that in life, once you've accomplished something, it becomes easier and easier and easier. That's why when you see people that go from rags to riches or riches to rags, they find a way to fight back because they know what it's like to succeed. They know that they can do it. They know what's required. Success demands a paycheck. If you want something, you're going to have to pay a price. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And as a result, you're going to have to do everything that you can to try to make that dream come true. Yeah, nobody's going to see your dream like you do. Nobody's going to see that vision like you do. You may not even know what it fully looks like. You know the direction that you're moving. And after a while, when you get there and look back, 
you'll be amazed at, at everything that you had to overcome to get to where you're at. Other people will be amazed at what you did. I, I've got people that are saying, Jay, gosh, you need to write a book. You need to do this. I said, no, I lived it. You know, I, I love it. And it's, you know, I, I talk about it from time to time on some various radio shows. But the point is that if I can try to be a an inspiration to someone as they try to motivate themselves, because that's where true motivation comes from, then, yeah, I want to talk to the business owner and say there's never been a better time in the world to start your own business now because most people have zero levels of customer service. They don't do anything to try to get the customers back. I mean, we live in a world where unless you're a mortician, you survive on repeat business. And yet every place we go, it seems like nobody cares how they treat us or whether we come back again, so which kind of makes you wonder, why are we spending marketing dollars to attract people if we're doing nothing to keep them coming back? Now, I want to circle back to something you said earlier, you know, when you went through that journey of 10 years hustling, trying to make ends meet. Now, since you're at the top of your game, does that fear of failure ever creep in? Is this something that you dealt with early on? I did. In fact, um, the first year of my success, which in business for me was uh, 2009 going into 2010, I remember thinking, Vlad, well, that was nice. That's never going to happen again. That was great. And then all of a sudden it starts up again. And the next year is even better than the year before. And you're still working harder. Look, it, it, it takes a lot of hard work to get to the top. And then it takes even more work to stay there and to keep going. You never are on cruise control. You never sit back and say, well, I made it. I can right. coast now because people that are in our kind of positions, we don't coast. We're constantly looking to improve and provide better services and products and trying to do a bunch of different things for the people that we hope to have the the privilege of, of influencing in the future. But the longer that you go, the little bit easier that it becomes. But look, the reason I keep that the motel room key is to always remind me of the price I had to pay. And if they kick me back there and I had to start it again right now, I'd do it. I know I could do it. It's just a matter of how long it would take because I'm not going to stop until I get there. And that's why when I see business owners that get dejected, when they, they're they wondering if they're ever going to see a second anniversary, I talk to them and I say, you're spending a lot of money on marketing, but what are you doing to bring these people back? When Sherry and I go to dinner, my wife and I, I'm, I'm always, if we go somewhere new, I'll tell the manager, hey, this is the first time that we came in because I want to see what they say. Most of the time they say nothing. They say, thank you. Oh, that's good. And they walk away and I shake my head thinking, they have no clue. They are clueless. What they should be saying is, how did you hear of us? What brought you in here? Because if this person understands that they're spending, you know, $100,000 a year in advertising, don't they want to know what works? <laughs> Apparently not because nobody asks. Right. If they said, I saw your billboard or somebody recommended me as a referral, those types of things, then the management understands what's bringing customers in the door. Then bad times hit and they've got to cut their marketing budget by half. What do they cut? They don't know because they're advertising in five different areas, but they don't know which is working, which is then they got to take a guess and maybe they're cutting the wrong thing. And if they've got something that's not working, if they don't ask where people are coming from, they're never going to know that that stinks. And if they did know that, they could take that same money and put it in an area that works and boom, their business is up by 30% without spending any more money. When you listen to a radio ad, and I've sponsored where I've, I've had to do some since I work in radio. And you hear somebody say, mention this ad and we'll give you an extra 10%. Do 
Do you know why we have to say that? Why? Because it, what's really the case is, uh, you please mention this ad because we're too lazy to ask how you heard of us. So if you mention it, we will know. It, it's follow the crowd mentality. Like, you know, I love Christmas as a Christian. I love Christmas with all my heart. But I'm not a big Christmas card kind of guy because I'd prefer to send Thanksgiving Day cards personalized, signed with a nice note at Thanksgiving, because there's never a better time to say thank you to a customer or somebody you hope to become a customer than Thanksgiving. You want to do something where you're standing out from the crowd. You want to send thanks or Christmas cards? Yeah, you're going to be one of 80. Send a Thanksgiving Day card. You're going to be one of two. You're going to be remembered six months later when the rest of them aren't. If I have somebody that I want to do business with, my approach, my mental focus is I am thrilled to know you and I'm going to work for as long as I have to, to earn a chance at your business. And eventually I hope you'll give it to me. That may take three months. It may take three years. It could take 10 years, but guess what? You're worth it to me. So I'm going to keep going as much as possible. Vlad, they're going to hear from me in a personal way two or three times a year. They're going to constantly know that I'm there so that if the person they're working with messes up, I'm ready to step in and try to live up to my promises. When I meet people, uh, it, it's when I, one of my breaks was at a, a Cincinnati Metropolitan College. I was a director of the travel programs, and they were enrolling nine or ten students a year. And Vlad, I said, well, a lot of people walk in the door. What do we do if they don't want to enroll? They said, well, you know, we interview them. And if they're you know, not ready, we just kind of, you know, toss their names in the corner. And I said, You're, this is crazy. It's not some of these people may later in life be at a point six months or a year down the road where it's convenient for them to enroll in our program. We spent all that money to bring them in the door. And if they don't enroll immediately, you're tossing them to the side. Well, I quickly turned that around so that everybody that came in, they heard from us two, three times a year. We constantly were reminding them how much they meant to us and how much we were there in case they wanted to get started with a career in uh, the uh, travel industry within a year and a half we were enrolling 144 students wow. a year. Wow. I was named the employee of the year and a bunch of other things. And, and people said, Jay, that's great. And I thought, it, it's not. It's just a matter of redirecting our assets and recognizing what's what. I had a, a conversation with somebody that works with uh, Constant Contact. And they said, yeah, you know, Jay, for these people that have got these extensive uh, email lists, if they haven't heard from somebody in you know a couple of years, it's time to kick them off. And I'm thinking, wrong because those individuals, and I, I can tell you from, from my standpoint, I have people contact me that are enrolling in our January class coming up. They contacted me in 2012. So if I had had some mindset that said, if they don't enroll immediately, you're out of here, Buster, then uh, we would be cutting off our noses because we would be losing a lot of future revenue by doing what everybody else does. And in business, a simple change of focus can mean everything. And everybody that I meet is a potential customer. And I'm going to make sure they know who I am. Okay, emails are nice, but I still believe in, you know, personal notes and cards and things like that. And, you know, when I was at Northwest Airlines, we sent Thanksgiving Day cards that were signed by every one of my agents. When it opened up, it had 30 some signatures scribbled in the card saying, thank you for being a valued customer. I had CEOs of huge companies that came back to me and said, Jay, what a great idea. I said, it's not mine. I stole it from a realtor friend of mine who I thought was really a good idea. But we get these Christmas cards and you open them up and are they even signed? 
No, they're not personal at all. There's nothing personal about it. And I learned a long time ago that it's a lack of communication that destroys most personal and business relationships. Wow, so true. So if you turn that around, increased communication should tend to strengthen a relationship. And it does. And I can tell you, it's I don't care what business I'm in, anywhere that I've been, if, if it's people that work with me, I'm going to send a note home to their spouse saying, gosh, your your spouse is really working hard of late. I just want to let you know how much we appreciate what they're doing. I send notes to their parents. I'm constantly letting every customer that we want to have that we're here. We're ready to serve them. And, and unfortunately, most people aren't willing to just take that little extra step to stand out. You need to be in business showing people that, look, I want to exceed your expectations at every point of contact. Okay, it's great to say that, but how are you doing it? And I learned through, you know, some of the things that I've mentioned here, it can dramatically set your business apart from anything that anybody else is doing. And it's one of the reasons that Day Trade Fund is experiencing the fun, the uh, success that it is, because I'm simply implementing those same sort of procedures here and it can help. I don't care. Look, if, if I go in to get my oil changed, I'm asking the guy changing my oil. Hey, you know, you guys are busy. How many people do you have come through here in a day? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, what's the record? You know, what's the record as far as I don't know. And I'm thinking, you know, people are naturally competitive. If I'm in charge of that place, I'm letting everybody know, you know, the most we've ever done is 153 cars in a day. And if we ever top that, we're going to have a party. And now all of a sudden, people are kind of getting excited. They're kind of doing things. When I took over at Northwest Airlines, if you can allow me one more brief story. Sure, here, yeah. Uh, I, I took over a station that could not get an aircraft out on time. It, we were given 20 minutes to turn an airplane. If we took 21 minutes, it turned out to be a station delay. The guy that I took over from, uh, his name was Joe. And he said, Jay, the only thing I'm going to tell you is I leave you here. Never leave these people alone. They're like a bunch of junior high kids. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I think they're a little bit better than that. But I recognize that we kept, I mean, we had several flights a day and, and we, we take a delay on almost every flight. So I went out and I got a marker board, big old marker board, about three by five. And we got a flight out on time. And Vlad, I put a big number one on it. And I went back in my office. And my three supervisors came in and said, Jay, what's with the board? I said, oh, I'm just curious. I I'm going to track how many flights we can dispatch in a row on time before the streak ends. And they laughed at me. They said, this is, come on, where, where did you learn this from management school? I said, no, it's just, I'm just curious. So for about three weeks, they made fun of me. It'd get to six. I'd, you know, we'd take a delay and put a zero. But after about four or five weeks, I found a note on the operations table. And it was from the morning shift to the night shift saying, we got the streak to 18. Don't blow it. Wow. So there's this competition going. Now on. they're managing themselves. I have a letter from Richard Anderson, who at the time was the president of Northwest Airlines, congratulating our station on 456 days of no station delays. Wow. We would have flight crews calling in as they flew from Detroit to Miami, calling the Dayton station to ask what the streak was up to. Because if some pilot got off the airplane in Dayton and started strolling around, we said, buddy, get your butt back on that plane because we're not going to take a delay because of you because we're up to, you know, whatever number it might happen to be. That's interesting. They wow. looked at me like I'm some genius. And it was nothing more than simply getting everybody pointed in the right direction and then getting out of the way. And, and that was something for, you know, people said, Jay, how did you ever get to be a travel coordinator for the Detroit Lions? Well, they chartered a 757 from Northwest. 
There were people that had been there for 44 years that wanted to be a travel coordinator. Who'd they give it to? The guy in Dayton who's turning things around from a station most people forgot we ever flew to. Why? Because of some of these little teeny things. Oh, and yes, we also sent notes of thanks to the president, vice presidents, reminding them in Dayton how hard we were trying to work to, to, to do a good job for them. We let people in the management know who we were just as we were doing our customers. We were constantly trying to exceed expectations from every single person around us. And I'm pleased to say many of the people that, you know, used to make fun of me with that board, probably 15 of them right now are, are station managers with airlines around the world because, and hopefully they're doing some of the same crazy stuff <laughs> that we did together because it wasn't me, it was them. I got them pointed in the right direction and Vlad, I got out of the way. You know, it's interesting how at first people make fun of you for something that's so radical, something that's different, but then, mm -hmm. you know, because at first people just, they can't see, they don't think outside the box, just like the intro I said, you're the right. man who thinks it's outside the box. They don't until it's like, oh, okay, well, gosh, look at that. That was great. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I, uh, I just recently heard this quote. It said, I think it goes something like this, like you can't manage something you can't measure or something like that. And when the guy told right. me that, I was just like, that's so true. If you're not measuring your success or failures, then you can't manage it well, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if, if something's important, you have to track it. And that's one of the things that we, because I asked all of our agents, I said, hey, how good are we at uh, turning airplanes? There's 1,500 stations in the world for Northwest. Hey, Jay, we're some of the best, really. So I printed off a big, I don't know, 15-page report, and I said, let's find where the Dayton station is on this. It ranks them from top to bottom. You know where all of my agents started? Page one. Here we are. Where are we? And it, we were at the last page, fifth from the bottom. Wow. And one of my agents, who's normally very quiet, said in a station meeting, he said, man, we suck. <laughs> now, I couldn't say that, but he did. And I said, guys, we're not this bad. This paper says we are, but we're going to collectively try to turn this around. When we were going nuts, I think we were number three in the company about a year wow. later in on-time performance because, and then all the world was trying to be like us. My agents would go to training and they'd walk in and somebody would say, oh, you're from Dayton. Yeah, we, we heard about you guys. And all of a sudden they started getting the big heads strutting around like they're something. I said, guys, it's not it. But they'd send us new agents to train, new managers to train because they wanted those individuals to do what we did and plan. It doesn't take much mm -hmm. to simply turn things around. And that's why if you, if you manage that uh, gas station or that oil change place, let people know what the record is. I, I mean, give them something daily to shoot for that way. If they feel like hey, I'm kind of, I want to call in or whatever, cause I'm not feeling well, they're like, no, I can't let them down because you know, this is the busiest day of the week. We might break our record today right. and people enjoy being a part of something that's bigger than what they are. So true. And that purpose, it gives them the purpose to get up in the morning. We're, we're working together for this goal. And all of a sudden everybody, yes. does, nobody wants to drop the ball because people, if there's no goal, if there's no purpose, it's like, I always say, it's like driving nowhere with no destination, you're just going to burn out, you burn gas sure. out. And that's how people get burned out in workplace. I've witnessed it in, in corporate America time after time because there's right. no camaraderie, there's no purpose, there's no, everybody's kind of for themselves. And I feel like this brings, it's teamwork, it brings people together. And I want to compliment you on something because you were talking earlier how you sent all these different things. And I wasn't going to say this, but I got an email not too long ago from you and it was Pretty cool because he sent out an email and just like, hey, Vlad, I just want to thank you for this thing that you helped me. This And I was like, wow, Jay Ratliff just sent me an email and he thanked me for these little things that I thought were so minute. And and then which that led to this interview. So anyway, well, you, know, you taught me something and, you know, we all need to surround ourselves with people that are a lot smarter than we are in a lot of different ways. 
and there's things that you are just off the charts smart about. And, and you and I would have a conversation and you, you challenge me to do this or that. So I'd go off thinking, okay, how can I make that happen? So then my wheels are spinning, trying to figure out what I can do. And, and as a result, my business is better a year later than it was a year before because of a, just a quick conversation that you and I had. And I would have preferred that to be a postcard. I love sending postcards because they can't be thrown away unopened. Or, but, you know, it, it, at the time I was traveling, we were going somewhere and I wanted to send a, a very quick email just to let you know that it, it meant a lot because it does. And, and none of us should be so busy that we neglect to stop and, and take time to say thank you to somebody for doing something for us. We live in a society that most people don't say thank you. I remember I was holding the door open for a little old lady that was walking and I, you know, I, I was leaving. So I held the door and, you know, she finally kind of moseyed on past <laughs> me. She didn't say thank you. And initially I got a little bit out of shape. I thought, oh, well, but then I thought, Jay, you don't thank God for everything that you mm, get. That's deep so. Right there. If let's just, and I was like, you know, that's We're true. So if that's all I do and all they do is just kind of, you know, groan at you, that's fine because I don't say thank you for everything that, that I'm blessed enough to have. And look, life is short. So if all of us can try to, you know, be a, 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 a mentor, a guide and encouragement for other individuals, then that's what life's all about. And I love being on the radio across the country because I'll get emails from people saying, Jay, you said this, or you said that. And these types of things really resonated with me going through what I'm going through right now. And they recognize that, you know, few situations are permanent. So it's a matter of how can we get past this to some better times and trying to maintain as much as we can a positive attitude throughout. Look, I'd love to say that I was the rock of Gibraltar going through that uh, those motel room days. But I mean, every week I wanted to quit. Every week I was thinking, which airline could I go work for? When I was delivering papers and some owl flew through my window into my car, I'm thinking, this is nuts. What am I doing this for? But it was because I was headed in a direction that I wanted. And I constantly was reminding myself of that. And even though there wasn't anybody there to share it with, and it was some of the, the loneliest, most depressing times of my life, I, I, I never, you know, tried to hurt myself or anything, right. but, you know, there were nights that uh, seriously, I'd lay down and I'd say, Lord, I really don't care if I wake up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was that depressed. Now, fortunately, I got over it quick, but looking back, I, I remember my prayer at the time was, Lord, bless me so that I can be a blessing to other people. Just if you can bless me so that when I get on the other side of this journey, I can be a blessing to other people. That's what my goal is. And, you know, thank God he got me through there in a way that exceeded anything that I ever thought. And I'm at a point now where I'm constantly trying to do things for other people. And that's why that I put the time to get aside today so you and I could chat in hopes that a few words that you and I may bounce back and forth resonates with someone who's maybe at, at a year, year and a half mark of trying to start their own business and they're throwing their hands up because nothing seems to work. And they're like, well, if this crazy nut could live in a motel room for 10 years, you know, maybe I can go another six months or so. And, and I kept seeing that I was making incremental progress. It was slower than, you know, I wanted it to be, but I finally got to the point where, you know, I wanted a 70% batting average on the stocks I picked. And it took a year to get to 25% and another year to get 30, 35%. It was such a slow progression towards success, but I was constantly moving in that direction and I could see it improving. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to believe in yourself, Vlad, when no one else will. So true. 
Now, in closing, share what you do with Day Trade Fund and how can our audience benefit from it? Well, I mean, if, if they're interested in, in, in Day Trade Fund, then go to daytradefund.com or they can go to jratliff.com or they can type in, you know, jratliff stock guy, whatever, and they'll be able to find us without too many, uh, too many issues, especially with the, all the different radio interviews that I do across the country. But basically what I do is I, I teach individuals to have a backup plan as far as a plan B in their life where they have the opportunity to use Wall Street as a business. I have students that want to make an extra $5,000 a month to kind of supplement their income or some that want to make five or $6,000 a month for retirement so that they don't have to touch their nest egg so that they can travel and do the things that they want to do. I've got some with larger portfolios are trying to make five to $600,000 in the course of a year flipping stocks. And, and throughout the course of uh, the day, like uh, the day we're, we're taping this, we had six different stock opportunities where we grab them. We normally hold them for about eight or 10 minutes. We sell them. We walk away with a five or 6% gain. And, you know, for somebody that's using $5,000 on a stock, they make 250 bucks a pop. They do that four or five times a day. You're talking about $1,250 a day. Or for some people, you know, it's, it's an extra two or 300 bucks a day. And it's something that it's a 12-month online course because there's a lot to learn. And we go at a very slow, methodical pace. It's not a get-rich-quick type of thing. And for individuals that are serious about, you know, transforming their financial future so that they have a backup plan in case something goes wrong at work or in case they, you know, don't have as much money in retirement as they would like or just to have the opportunity to travel with the business. I mean, last uh, weekend, Sherry and I went to Savannah for four days because we could. I can take my computer, which is my office, anywhere that I'm at. If I'm in New Orleans, if I'm in Boston, if I'm in Chicago, if I'm in Atlanta, I think we spent 80 nights last or this year in a motel room somewhere in the country. And I'm taking my laptop with me because that's my computer. Because look, I remember what it's like to have customers. I remember what it's like to have people yelling at you, inventory issues, insurance issues, employee issues, all of these things that, that go on with the business. But my business is nothing more than than flipping stocks for quick profits. There's some people that go to garage sales that'll buy an item so that they can try to sell it at a future garage sale, make a profit. Some people flip cars or houses and they put a lot of effort into that and they hold them for an extended period of time. And I salute everyone who has the patience and expertise to do that. But I'd rather do like I've done this week and buy a stock and hold it nine minutes and 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 sell it for a four or $500 profit and go on from wow. there because it's... The idea with, with my approach was always, if I can minimize the amount of time my money's in the market, I'm going to reduce the amount of overall risk that my money's exposed to. If I'm somebody that invests long-term in the stock market, there's an inherent risk. If I'm someone that flips stocks throughout the course of a day, there's also a risk. It's a matter of reducing that risk by limiting the amount of time. And my students have batting averages of 70 and 80% on stocks that they chase. We, we are very, very good at what we do because we're very selective and we wait for stocks to get to a certain point. We know exactly where we're going to buy them. We know exactly where we're going to sell them. I probably get a, an email of thanks or a letter from one of my current or past students every week saying, Jay, thank you for introducing me to this incredible company and program. And I immediately think back, Vlad, to those years in that motel room. And my thought is, as it was recently when Sherry and I were in Venice walking the streets in Europe, how close that I came to stopping. And it's scary. That one thought 
still scares me to death because I think back at all the times where I almost quit. And had I, I would not be enjoying the things I'm doing now where I'm able to do things for my parents, uh, take my in-laws to Alaska for a week on a cruise and do the things that I'm doing now that I would never have been able to do before. But what if I'd have quit? during those, those rough years. And that's something that when I think about it, it just gives me chills because I was so close, not once, but about 350 times where I said, that's it. You know, I, I just, but then you, you, you calm down and you recognize you've made progress. You've learned you're further along than you were and you've got to keep going and thank God that I did. Wow. What a journey. <laughs> and how many people do you take on every year to train? I only train uh, 30 to 40 a year, and that's it. I've been told that I should have a team of people training because we have so many people that want to learn. But I've learned a long time ago that for every layer of trainer that I have beneath me, it minimizes the, the level of expertise that the students would get. So I made a decision early on that it was going to be me and no more than me. And I think last year I had 38 or so that I trained, but normally no more than that. And it's just a matter of whatever my schedule will allow, given my charity commitments and other things that are going on as far as the number of students that I'll take. But my goal in life is to turn people onto the, the stock market. They don't have to learn through me. If they watch the market long enough, they'll start to see some of these interday repeatable profit patterns that are there. On my success blog that's on my day trade fund website, I, I many times will put little hints and things about some of the things that we do that helps individuals who are trying to learn on their own. Because I recognize with what I charge for what I do, which is a lot for a year, that the cost is prohibitive for some people. And that's okay because they can learn on their own at their own pace. And we try to help them out a little bit by giving them some information on our website. Sounds good. And last question, how can people get in touch with you again? Just uh, head to jratlove.com or daytradefund.com and they can uh, find me without any problem at all. And any emails that come my way, Vlad, I, I try to return them as quickly as I can. I think I've got 300 and some emails in my inbox right oh, no. now, but as quickly as my schedule allows, uh, I, I get right back to them. Sounds good. Well, Jay, hey, listen, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. I appreciate it. No, no, no. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share a few ideas with individuals who I know and I'm confident uh, because of who you surround yourself with will be able to use one little bit. You know, I go, I go to management sessions and I'll spend a day or a weekend and my whole focus is if you give me one idea that I can use in my business from this point forward, it was time well spent. Mm. So I'm hoping that we've been able to give individuals at least one idea here that they can implement in their uh, success pattern as they move forward with their Oh, business. you've given me plenty just from this interview. So <laughs> if nobody else, I walked away with lots. I've got a paper <laughs> with notes pleasure. here. So thank you so much, Jay. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it on social media. I'd also be very grateful if you could rate, review, and subscribe to our Ucre Media podcast on iTunes. It will only take you a few minutes, but it will help a lot in ranking the show. And it will also help other creatives discover this podcast. So huge thank you in advance. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to email me at vladimir at ucremedia.com. And definitely check out our courses and products at ucremedia.com slash shop. As always, don't forget to join our online mentoring group on Facebook at ucremedia.com slash community. We have well over 2,500 people in this group. It is a great online resource for those of you trying to grow, and it's absolutely free. 
Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Eager Media Podcast. Bye-bye.